Welcome to the Tenuous Links Podcast, home of the Golf Barons. Offering bloviated opinions on all things golf, discussing the game's biggest problems and some solutions to them as loosely as possible. Come add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons, thanks for joining us today on this Tenuous Links Golf Podcast, home of the Golf Barons, now playing on Fox Sports 503 and on KO and Foxtel On Demand. Do yourselves a favour and Series Link Season 2, you won't regret it. Now moving on to today's podcast as we wrap up all the takeaways from what was a rather epic US Open. Here to discuss it all with me is the tallest of the Golf Barons fraternity, our random swing theorist in Philbert, Philly. Great to see you again. Good to be here. And how good was it? How good How good was that as a US Open? I thought it was fantastic. Johnny Rahm, what an outstanding finish from the big fella. Just um, just a, a pure outsider pick from Kipper there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And to be fair, there's two points we have to make here. One is that Kipper hadn't offered us any tips when we recorded the pre-US Open pod, and so it was pure piss take that we selected Rahm on behalf of Kipper, particularly as the outsider tip was the favourite. Two days later, prior to the US Open beginning, Kipper sends us his tip saying it's John Rahm. And he hadn't even listened to the podcast because he's never listened to one. Why would he, Phil? He's not the only one who hasn't. But um, just quickly on, on Rami, timing is everything, isn't it? Imagine if two weeks ago he, he didn't get done for the, the COVID thing and it actually happened this week. It's the difference between him being a major winner and not. Or, or maybe he was due for one win. And had it not happened two weeks ago at all, and he wins the other event, then maybe he, maybe he doesn't win the US Open. Doesn't that fly in the face of your winning is a is a habit? And once you win one, you're going to win the next and the next. Yeah, speaking of flying in the face of that, Garrick Higo <laughs> flew in the face of that. Nice outsider tip by me. Didn't quite make the cut. But at least uh, we're on a run of majors now when it comes to our tipping, <laughs> though, Shooter, in that... Our favourite at least made the cut this time. Yes, well, yeah, who was it? Paddy Reid didn't quite do what we expected him to do. Well, he did on the last day. Louis, I did say that Louis was my uh, was my outsider. Well, you learnt that from the USPGA. This is what I like about it. You no, but you learnt from the USPGA not that that you have to always back your favourites and the ones that you rely on. Now, I, I, as you know, had had an affair. Don't still have. But I had an affair, and it was quite a torrid. It was quite a torrid affair. You've broken it off with Brooks, but Brooks started to really piss me off uh, over the last few weeks. But but ahead of the PGA, I broke up with him, didn't pick him, and he was in contention. You broke up with Louis, and you learnt from your mistakes, Shooter. He still didn't quite get there, sadly for me. Where was Patrick Reed though, Philly? What happened to him? Yeah, he, he shot four under on the last day. So he should have been. No, there. That, well, that's, that's all my I point. Yeah, I mean, he shot four under on the last day. For mine. A little bit controversial. I think he's gone soft. Like, what's happened to him? I mean, it's as if Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones have hit him up with the neuralizer, Phil. He's completely forgotten who he is. He's, he's numb out on course. He's a far better individual when he's hated by everybody and he stops smiling mm. and stops trying to be nice. But we're not here to talk about Patrick Reed. We're here to talk about the, the entire event and, and the fact that the best player in the field won. But particularly the, these, cha- we're talking about championship moments, championship putts, seventeen and eighteen, incredible, like two incre- like just incredible putts. But second to that, as all credit to Louis, two championship putts, one that just didn't go in, 
but his putt on 18, and maybe, you know, that when the, the pressure's released. But Rahm, man, it was like when he... Remember the double Adam? Remember when we go back to the double Adam? <laughs> um, it, it's just that same, but that big left-to-right curling putt. Most players seem to, to cope worst with a big bending left-to-right putt. And Rahm, under pressure, it's almost... Just eats them he up. He just eats them up. Back to back. Is it fair to say, or is it an overstatement to say, it was Tiger-esque in the moment? It was very, very much a... And his reaction to... He just seems to be clutch at some of those those massive moments. I thought it was really Tiger-esque. Too strong? Um, no, I don't think it is too strong because it's just that the passion that he's oozed and potentially what it means is that Tiger oozes the same level of passion that Seve did. And therefore, you know, in terms of that, I'm a pure competitor... And I just thrive on all of these things. And Ram just oozes that. He does ooze that as well. I'm not going to wax too lyrical about him and, and you know start to praise him as the greatest of all time. But Ram excites the crowd in a way that DJ, DJ excites them with his play. But Ram excites them with his play and his body language. And there's something a lot more exciting about that, which I can only think is what it would have been like watching Seve you know, back in the day, at the, at the peak of his powers, is that is that possibly the emotional sign to Ram that they that the crowd seem to love that they know at any moment they he wears his heart on his sleeve, um, and, and you know that he's going to uh, he could implode or he could explode at any given moment, and it's just watching those sort of players they're just so endearing to to watch, especially when they have these massive moments. Um, I don't have any doubt that they're part of the crowd is they're going. If he buggers this one up, he might well flip out. But the fact that there's certainty in the uncertainty of, of watching him play, in that he's he's a flusher, and Kipper has been unabashed fan of of both his swing and his action and the positions he gets in to strike the ball. He's uh, he's quite clearly an unbelievable player and and the form player in the world at the moment. But rising to the occasion, he's doing it a bit too often, and, and we're not talking about majors, but he's not afraid of of pressure, um, and I think his maybe fatherhood, you called it out before the Masters, is that maybe he was sleep-deprived. Maybe fatherhood's just applied a, a reality check edge to him that's allowing him to just be in better control of, of that emotion but to also run with it. No, I think that's true. We'll probably touch a little bit on that uh, a little bit later on. One of the things for me that stood out, Philly, was the amazing commentary that just captured the <laughs> event and the the vibe of the event, the excitement. Uh, it was just, oh, it was exhilarating. Yeah, it was exhilarating until Luke Elvey came on. <laughs> you really that, don't like him, So do you? I, I tell you what, I mean, I referred a couple of podcasts ago to the, the Germans, the Dutch and the South Africans. Um, Paul Leisinger. The zinger is now one of my favourite commentators, purely on the back of having to put up with Luke Elvey. And I, I, I don't know him, and this is not meant to be a, a, a massive crack, but it is really. It, it, I, I listened to my son play PGA 2K21 on Xbox, and Luke Elvey and Rich Beam are the commentators. How it is possible to pre-record commentary to a bloody computer game and then to repeat that same shot when it comes to a US Open, and I'm going to give you some examples. Same tone, same words. Not quite familiar with these, Philly, so this will be a, an educational experience for most of us. Oh, he's on the runway there. But he's on the runway there. Like, he's reading from it. 
Um, come on, like Rafa Cabrera Bello had a putt for for birdie on uh, I think on the second round when he was in contention. It might have been third round. Um, come on, Rafa, one for the road, mate. I kept waiting for him to say refer to this player because in PJ two K twenty one they they don't allow you to insert the name of so all of a sudden he says Austin <laughs> like like that that bloody North Pole thing does at Christmas time where you can actually you you plug in your name and it looks like Santa Claus is saying hello Austin we can't do that on PJ two K twenty one so it's constantly referred to as oh this player is looking very sharp today a great birdie by this player. I wanted. I kept waiting for him to say this player. He refers to people's first names like he's their best mates. He does not talk about like Guido. Guido. He was. He was calling him Guido, and then Rafa, and then Russell. I'm assuming a Russell was playing at some stage. Richard. You don't know these people, so stop giving me oh, that. I'll oh, get on you, Richie. Oh, nice putt, Richie. And if someone brings up the effing mullets ever again, <laughs> I'm going to lose my sh- It's just dull commentary. It's just safe. It's boring and bored at the same time. Do you know what I mean? It's like, Volvo. It got me, it actually got me thinking because I know um, on our little WhatsApp, Golf Baron's WhatsApp group, Philly did, did throw a couple of these things around on the weekend. He, he was obviously not overly impressed with the commentary, but is it time we started to bring, and this is a genuine question, some competition into commentary? Do we, do we need varying stations airing the golf um, with different commentary styles for different fans' wants? You know, some more traditional, some a little bit more, I don't know, a little bit more fun and upbeat, Philly. Dare I say, Barron's style. Because so, then the PGA, Philly, they can compare the viewership numbers then. I mean, at the very least, it'd be a pretty interesting social experiment for mine. So I think one thing I will say, uh, and sorry, I forgot to give credit. So a number of the ideas you're going to hear in this podcast are... Uh, uh, courtesy of some feedback we got from, let's just code name Jonesy from Canberra, and and so one of them was around this Luke Elvey piece and, and the commentary piece you you bang on, so the Luke Elvey kick in when when the major networks who actually have good commentators go to ad breaks, which seem to be all the time, all of a sudden we get Luke Elvey uh, and Rich Beam commentating, and I don't mind Rich Beam other than the fact that it just makes me feel like I'm playing Xbox, but maybe there needs to be a pre queue for commentators. Maybe there needs to be a cut for commentators where you, you just haven't done a good enough job Thursday, Friday. So I'm sorry, like you're a first alternate. Love it. Or a second alternate, or you may as well jump on the plane and go back home. But it's frustratingly, boringly, and wow, that one bounced left. As Richie Benno in the cricket commentary. Yes, I knew you were going there. You, go for you, it. What is it? Don't say what you can see. Don't say what you can see. You know, sometimes the best thing you can do is just let the pitchers talk. Yeah, I mean, yes, it was a bad break. Yes, it will be a difficult bunker shot. I mean, it's plugged in the face. There's a fair chance it's going to be a difficult bunker shot. If a ball runs over the left lip, there's every chance it ran over the left lip. But to then say, oh, that ran over the left lip, oh, he won't be having cups of tea after golf. That one ran over the left lip. Where's his iced vovos? This is probably the time we should tell all the listeners, Philly, that the whole episode of this Tenuous Links Golf Podcast is not going to be as negative as we have kicked off with. <laughs> but I'm with you, though, and, and the mentioning of the mullet. I mean, the next time I hear mullet referenced, it better be in relation to an epic golf, golf fishing, or well, that's a golf and fishing combination, in Series 3 of Golf Barons, Philly. Otherwise, shelve the mullet, we're done with it. Please, for the love of God, do us all a favour. Or 
bring it up because someone with one has actually just won an event as opposed no. to missing the cut. No. Agree to disagree. Don't even mention it okay, then. Okay, don't it's even done. mention it then. It's it's done. Everyone get haircuts. There was a there was an incident over the entire course of the US Open. And here's mm-hmm. and this will lead on to another conversation. Did the USGA with their course setup, and we'll talk about Tory Pines later on, almost and thankfully Bryson didn't well not thankfully he didn't win. But did it almost reward the very attributes that USGA are trying to defend against? And in a sense did did Ram save the course setup police's jobs? Because when Bryson turned in the lead, having stated that he doesn't give a crap if it's in the rough, give me deep rough, I will gouge it out. And we mm-hmm. talked about that, you know, in a pre-US Open pod, yeah. that it would be bomb and gouge. And Bryson then just declares, this is my wheelhouse. You have just delivered me my dream course. Now, the fact that his feet started sliding, and I'm not going to suggest why or whether he'll go back to metal spikes or whether he actually wears metal spikes. I don't really give two shots. But the USGA claim that they don't like all these things, you know, and they need to wind distance back and they want to reward everybody. And then they build you a golf course or they prepare a golf course that just rewards the guy who smashes it and flies at miles or the guy is so precise off the tee, which is why Richard Bland was leading after two rounds because he was precise off the tee. Yeah, it's a, it's a fair point. Being at Torrey Pines, I know we said we'll talk about the, the course in more detail later. Is there anything else they could have done to defend that course, though? There's a bit... In fact, let's move on to it now. Because I know nothing. I, You know what? My level of golf course architecture knowledge and preparation knowledge stems from feedback from Andy Johnson at Friday, from talking to Mike Cocking, from reading what Mike Clayton says about golf courses and, and getting an overall sense of what's going on. But Tory Pines, there, there was a conversation around, oh, Tory Pines can't be that bad, look at the leaderboard. But that's more testament to the quality of the players than the course's impact on it. The, this boredom of, and I'll get to your question, this boredom of gouge chip shots from around the green where by a ball, and this is the point that, that Andy Johnson makes a lot, if you shave that mound, make a ball that goes over the green, and I think the, the back of 14, make a ball that goes long, go into the canyon. Like shave mm. the surrounds of the greens. Shave them up to the bunkers on the fairways so that a ball is likely to not just get into thick rough. It'll run into a, a fairway. And I actually wonder what Tory Pines, if you want to flip this whole thing on its head, what would that entire facility look like? And this will prove that I know nothing about golf course architecture or course preparation. So forgive me. But given the land, what would happen if they there was no rough and they actually mowed the whole area so that you just had because it's on a, a hill, hills and mounds and running and rolling, you know, whereby the whole thing does it does it affect the outcome? By how much does it affect the outcome if all rough is removed, but a misplaced shot does not pull up in the rough yeah. on the way to the canyon? It rolls. It in. rolls off into the canyon. Yeah. So in a way, in a way, you're saying it's it possibly made easier by having the rough as a form of a stop, a backstop from it rolling off the cliff. Well, it defends bad shots and it allows you to be to be wide and long if you want to be. So it's almost you need to be the Seve kind of golfer and be wide, wide rather than just wide. Well, which leads to another point, and I am you know jumping because we were going to try and do this with some element of flow. So Tory Pines, so the first thing I'll say about Tory Pines is that I, I do wonder, so because you look at the land, and this, and I'm not going to buy into this whole, it's crap, it's not crap, because I'd still love to play there. But I do look at it, having seen what, what 
Mike Cockney and his team did at Shady Oaks. And I do wonder if you were to give it to a Mike DeVries or a Gil Hance or a, an OCM uh, or a Core Crenshaw and say, here's your land. We're, we're nuking this. It's out of play for a year. Here's a parcel of land for you. What would you do with it? That said, though, Phil, when you look at the two, the last two tournaments we've had there, they've been two absolutely cracking events with with brilliant finishes. You know that'll go down in the annals of golf. Are we over intellectualising it? I guess saying that the course needs to be a certain way, putting too much focus on the course rather than hey, the spectacle. How did it turn out? And perhaps almost reverse engineer that a little bit and give credence to the course um, and say, well, hang on, you haven't been a sticking point for a tournament that didn't deliver. Um, but as I say, was the outcome of the tournament in spite of the course or because of it? I mean, did it contribute? Does it need to be because of it? Obviously, it contributed in some way. Well, I think I, I think the elite field contributed to it. And, and when you looked at the players who came in with no form, they, they got, you know, they, they got found out because form finds people out as they go through. I mean, the, like Richard Bland was unbelievable to be, Leading, but even he said, "I found out on the weekend what a U.S. Open was all about." But, but isn't but that think, what we want to see? But I think the U.S. Open, yeah, no, I, I get your point. And yes, I've never been accused of over-intellectualizing anything, including saying that word. But because um, I'm sure I lost a syllable along the way there somewhere. But a what? A syllable? <laughs> a syllable? A syllable? Hello, Kipper. A soliloquy. It's a. It's, I'm going to do haikus <laughs> later on in the podcast. But the reality is, is that I, I think the issue that I've got with Tory and again, not knowing enough about it, and still being desperate enough to play it, is that they it just looked up and back and up and back and up and back. And I grew up playing a golf course that literally was up and back and up and back and up and back. And I saw some images where three or four holes were overlaid against each other, and it was like I was looking at one golf hole. And that's that for I, I, I don't like that. I don't like the fact, I don't like the, this thick rough around the greens because it, I didn't see anyone play a chip and run. And that's a critical shot. So surely the greatest test of the game should be a test of the variety of shots, not bomb, gouge, and then, oh, I missed the green, gouge, chip shot with, with a 60, and away you go. Whereas you go back to Kiowa, only one major ago, and there was every, like even in the last three holes, we had chip and runs, we had gouges, we had all these things because there was variety there. And, and I think that's, maybe that's the thing that's just annoyed me a bit about about the US Open is that I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed it for the first day, but then I don't want to have to see guys taking big swings at ten meter shots from from just off the ground. See, see, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't mind it. I think I'll probably look at it in a bit more of a holistic sense and say, did did we overall was it an entertaining event? Was it a little bit, of, you know, have, have a bit of its own feel about it? Uh, not the same that we see every week on tour. I thought it did. I, th- I thought there was enough drama in it to keep us interested for long enough. There were enough little, little you know, plots and subplots that went along. And I, I mean, I just compare it. I actually quite like that only six under won um, won the event. You know, I like the higher scoring events. I reckon it creates more of that, um, far more of that drama. So I'm real. I'm really comfortable w- with how it sort of played out. Just to put it in perspective, though, Philip. So last night I watched the replay of that final round again, probably for the third time now. And then following that, the replay of the LPGA um, major event, where Nelly caught a one at 25 under by two shots. I mean, talk about a bloody snooze fest. And that was Elvie's commentary in actual play. <laughs> you had the players finishing. So the player who finished 69th was at was at five under par. And the last player who had made the cut finished under the card as well. 
I'll take a high-scoring slugfest and massive swings from 10 metres out any day over that. It was just, it's not the score per se, I get that, but it's the drama that's created in these close contests. And in the higher-scoring finishes, every shot, every mistake that's made has, has a greater premium placed on it. And I look at Louis, for example. He made one bad swing pretty much on that in that round only one minute mistake at that too he only just missed the fairway by by the bees proverbial and that cost him a second major and then flip it and ram makes two tricky parts and bloody good parts too but on 17 and 18 and he feels like it's it's worth five shots to him now that's the drama that's why we watch this game these low scoring birdie fests they need to be put in the campfire yes but it only takes one goat uh, and so it only takes one bad swing. It only takes one goat and your whole reputation's ruined. Trust Kipper, he knows. But but I think the implication from from what you're saying is that if the collars of the greens were not thick rough, because I agree with what you're saying about the scoring, I, I thought the drama was awesome. Like if you had to measure it based on the excitement and the drama and everything else, as you say, without over-intellectualising the event, you would say it ticks every box because the cream rose to the top the the finish was exciting, you know, when you've got Bryson one shot ahead with nine holes to play or eight holes to play. Um, you've got implosions. As A. Zinger said at one stage, everyone's everyone's on full-blown collapse mode, which I, I actually love because normally, I'd, as you know, I might be a bit of a fan of bagging A. Zinger. You're not a huge fan of his either, no. But I, but I actually really enjoyed his... To, to be fair to him, I really enjoyed his commentary during the US Open. But I think you can make the course equally tough but not so mundane that it's just the same thing over and over. So let's say that every second green had a thick collar of rough around it. Now, I know it's not that easy, and there'll be plenty of intelligent people going, you are an idiot, which is true. But the variety of shots, shouldn't the majors test who's got the most shots in their bag? That's just my belief. It should test, am I long and straight off the tee? Can I work the ball both ways? Can I hit? the right shots under pressure, how am I out of bunkers, what's my short game like? Because in the lead-up to it, if the only chip shot you'd practised was gouge, 60-degree gouge, 60-degree gouge, you've just played four rounds with the same chip shot from around the greens. Whereas you go to the Open Championship and you've got, and we saw this at Portrush, you've got this wild variety of shots that it demands, you know, we talk about the questions the course yeah. asks, it demands that you have these shots. Here's a bit of, uh, they don't always. They don't demand you have to play a big roping hook around a tree fell on a links course. That's not every shot. Um, the point is, the point. I, I take your point. I think it's pretty. I think it's a pretty sound one. Might have been overdone. That you know, at majors you should test every single shot. But I also like that majors are not the same. They're not just a formulaic um, setup. Every time you've got to just tick this, 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 and this. All right, there we go. And then you get the same five people winning every major. I like the fact that. That um, that players need to adjust each major, and, and I think I think Nicholas was saying something similar to this the other a few years back when players were complaining about how difficult they're making the courses. Now it's like you've got to see it all as an opportunity. It's the same for everyone. Just just adjust to what the course requires of you, and that's what makes you a better golfer. It doesn't you don't have to have every shot in the in the bag. Look at look at Trevino. You just need to know how to get around. There's more than one way to skin a cat, I guess, is what I'm saying. So that you don't have to have every shot, but you just need to find a way to use your shots and to counter the course. And I think setting up courses differently is is only 
going to see more of that kind of golf and that way of thinking. Except they don't set US Open courses up differently other than, I mean, Chambers Bay was the outlier. Otherwise, they're all exactly, they, they set them up the same way. It's just therefore you need a, a greater course, such as a winged foot or an Oakmont or otherwise, to be able to really bring out this brutish behaviour. And even the, even the conversation around Olympic for the, for the Women's US Open, um, you know, you, you need a course like that to bring out the beast mode. And I'm just maybe... Sorry, you're saying that the US Opens are set up similarly. Uh, on the flip side, what about Open Championship courses? Are they not set up pretty similarly? Uh, they are because they're on. They're always played on links. I mean, there's not a there's not a Heathland Open course. So that's that's not the course's fault. That's actually just a course suiting its its nature. So that's why I say the US Open when it was at Chambers Bay. You know, th- th- that was a completely unique golf course and unique experience that could not be set up the same way because the terrain didn't allow it to be. And I think ultimately, maybe moving on from Tory, I, I think to me it just looks like a, a course that would be nice to tick off in a, budding, a, a bucket list to say I've played Tory South, but it just seems to me up and back, a little bit up and back and up and back and up and back. But there we go. But regarding setup, here's a question for you. Does the setup force players to think outside the box or outside the fairway? A, if you know what I mean. A, A, because it did appear that it was part of Bryson's strategy, one, to kill somebody in the crowd without calling for on multiple occasions, like actually dead set targeting them, but to say, I'm going to block this way right or I'm going to hit this way right because so many people have walked in that area that I'm going to get a better lie than I am in the fairway and potentially get a better angle through. So has the setup, does this setup of really narrow fairway and then super thick rough lend it to saying, actually, why don't I just try and aim where the people are and just not call for? <laughs> well, yeah, interesting. Well, to be fair to them, Tiger's been doing that for years. The easiest way for um, to find a fairway in the US for him was for years just to hit it straight into the crowds, well, always did, out in the middle of the fairway. They said that about Nicholas too, didn't they? And Palmer yeah. particularly, that, that it's amazing how often... Only hit the Members ball in the crowd, off. and yeah, all of a sudden it's, he rocks up to it, and it's on a tee. I don't want to drop that. I just play as it lies, like Frank, Frankenstein's fat foot. And then on the calling four issue, um, yeah, Justin Rose hitting up on Sergio. They seem to enjoy that little experience on Friday to try and get in before the line. Yeah, that, that was interesting, wasn't it? But they were right. They're right a cup teammates. They'll be. They'll be fine. Oh yeah, I'm sure they'll be fine. <laughs> um, so anyway, so that was that was my question about does does the course set up force, you know, the law of unintended consequences? Does it force someone who is really strategic to to think, actually, you know what, I, I don't mind hitting it at But is that not just smart? Is that just not playing playing the course and playing to your advantages? Probably. I was just looking to complain it, about it. It's probably smart golf. I've never been accused of it, so I'm, I'm probably with you. I'm asking the question here rather than answering it. It's probably smart golf too, watching Bryson um, tap down the, the grass behind his ball on 13 before he played it in the hope that the cameras were still on the streaker. What were your thoughts on, on the swing, on the man with the cape on his back? He's a, he's a member somewhere, isn't he? I'm sure he's. A, he'd be a country <laughs> member somewhere. I didn't mind the tackle though. The tackle was what I enjoyed more. I, I like the the fact that the in a cart. I mean, they're not necessarily the most maneuverable things, but but he knew which way he was turning. Got out beautifully like, in that one was fell genius, sweep. To, to just not overcommit. You know, it's sort of that's how you corral someone in a in a tackle. I mean, that was that, tackle low. People tackle body tackle low. None of this. None of his hands. None of his arms. Rubbish. Get in low. Body behind it. Bang. No sling tackle, nothing to complain about, holding the pill. No, no case to answer at the tribunal. But for someone to – how did they get in with a golf club? I suppose this is the big question. Yeah, exactly right. Because, I mean, on a serious note, that could be pretty dangerous. And you could see the security guys standing off him 
for a little bit because he clearly had something that could be used as a weapon and cause a fair bit of damage. Um, yeah, his weak fade. Um, it, weak fade. It, yeah, well, I wasn't going to call it anything else. He's not... Um, it wasn't a bad action. Uh, and from all reports on Twitter, he he tried to pre-cue an event pulling a cart, his golf bag on a, a cart behind him whilst high as a kite on psychedelics. So I think that he may have formed. Where, where was this event? Was in was it in California? Yes, that's, yeah, that's oh, right. Interesting. I'll <laughs> say no more. Let's move on. Bryson falling apart late. Was that a case of someone that sort of looks at, a, looks at an event like this and goes, I'm going to win or nothing? I don't care where I finish. If I don't win, I'm going to throw everything, at, you know, have a crack. No matter what, I'm going to... I'm going to try and win. And if I don't win, I'll, I'll finish 50th. I don't care. I think it it exactly echoes his strategy and his approach to this whole game of golf, which is I'm just going to smash out of the park and I'm going to keep pushing and see what happens. Now, I don't know what happened that, that led to his snowman. I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. Because once he dropped off the, the, the leaderboard, one thing great thing about the coverage, Luke Elvey or otherwise, is that once they're off the leaderboard, you don't hear boo of them. Seriously, one of the greatest knives I've ever seen, Philly. You would have been proud of this. Oh, out of the trap, the, yeah. the one out of the trap that, that went over and ended up next to the the um, Stella box of Stella, <laughs> whatever it was. But but it was just pursuing victory, no matter the cost. I mean, he wasn't thinking about you know, do I get to actually this will help me pre queue for next week, um, you know, this will help me keep my tour card. It was I am going to win this by three. And I got to tell you, when he was when he got to five under, it was all over. Like, there, no one else was going to get near Bryson. And then his tee shot on, I think, what, bogey 11 and 12, his tee shot on 13, where his right foot, I thought he was channeling Greg Norman. He That's the biggest foot slide I, I have seen in some minutes. It was extraordinary. I know they make a, a big deal of Father's Day, obviously, over in the US, and, and that's a, a pretty important day on the calendar. And we always seem to get a nice story out of it. What were your thoughts on... Johnny Rahm winning on Father's Day with his his old man there as well. It was perfect. I mean, that's how I that's how how I describe it. And, and someone called it out, and again, I, I don't know who to give credit to, but it certainly wasn't me. That in the lead up to the event is that you know the Sunday is on Father's Day and he's a first time father. It was just perfect. The synergy, and he referred to karma of all the events that had happened. But maybe this is further to that, and maybe I mean it was just. It was perfect. And then the thing that I liked in extension to that was when it cut to him deciding to warm up on the practice field just in case there was a, a playoff uh, and with his wife and little Binyos. But Mickelson there as almost as this father figure. Like, like a, I haven't read enough about the connection and I'm sure they're, they're mates. But he was there as this calming, excited influence that again, I think potentially Mickelson's got a greater connection with the next generation of players than he does with his own generation no of doubt. players. Yeah. Um, and, and there was a gen, there, there was a really genuineness to to him sitting there like a father figure, just keeping an eye on them, making sure that, that everything's okay and celebrating their success in an event that he's been so desperate to win. I loved it. Yeah. The younger generation clearly... Uh, seemed to talk, you know have a much better connection with with Philly, um, and I think that's got to do with the fact that they saw him as a um, growing up. He was probably an idol of theirs rather than they don't see him as a competitor, and so they probably 
for them they have they come in with a preconceived notion of this guy was one of my heroes and I've got so much I can learn from him and, and I think Phil's uh, probably relaxed in the in the fig jam uh, component <laughs> of the things that he used to be accused of unless he's just won a PGA Championship and he needs to show off that Wanamaker but we all love that uh, so I think yeah I think it, I agree with you that it's a really nice image to see the elder statesman of the game giving back to to the up and comers who revere them who clearly revere them like John Rahm clearly has a high opinion of, of Phil, um, or at least it looks that way. Not just a um, you know a manufacturing um, a stable mate, but just on Ram, I, I think we've seen a real maturity in him um, since he became a father. And I think it's one. I think it's a thing that should serve as a bit of a warning shot, Phil, to the to the rest of this. The rest <laughs> so, of to, the field. so to speak. Yeah, he, he's carrying himself. Well, he's carrying himself differently as well. You can see it, and he seems to have his emotions in check, which have always been the thing that um, have threatened to derail him at any given time. Um, I mean, even a year ago, he would likely have had a total meltdown after being withdrawn from the memorial. But he handled that with far more maturity than, than most people, certainly more than I would have controlled myself with. You know, the rest of the comp, I think they should be really worried at the moment because a tempered Ram with all the talent in the world He's going to be a huge threat. I've got a little prediction for you, Philly. Oh, here we go. We're going to see the age of Ram coming through now. The Ram Lamb has now become a fully fledged Ram. Or we'll see him. Ram we Lamb. We will see him. Hang on. Did you just say that? Yeah, the Ram Lamb. It's a young lamb, male lamb. I looked it up. Did you just say that the Ram Lamb yep. has just become a fully fledged Ram? That's correct. You said that. I said that. And you just said it again, so we've said it twice. I just didn't want it to be cut out of the podcast in, in editing. <laughs> no, so my prediction is we'll see him dominate uh, in the same way that we saw Brooks do it. We saw DJ and even Bryce. Now he's number one, but he's got that major, that monkey off the back, so to speak. Uh, he's far too talented. Now I think we're going to see arguably, I'll say one of the best Spaniards to ever play the game. One of the best. Okay, name five. <laughs> I just don't want to. I don't want to throw him out there and say he's going to be better than Sevier. He's going to be better than Jose Maria at this stage. Even though, personally, if this mic was off, I'd say I think he's going to do pretty much better than both of them. He's he's a star, mate. He's going to be an absolute jet. There, there was a, a conversation that I had with um, someone who will actually go nameless um, around the gear switch, and the comment was made at the time, which quite surprised me. But was Ram is so good that he will just, and this is not as a, a knock to the gear that he won with, but he is so good and so talented. He could actually literally win with anything. But the fact that he believes in his his gear is outstanding, and it just is one less thing for him to think about. But he's he's a, a freak that they rave about his skill. And and one thing I didn't know until I was at a meeting yesterday, and young Jess in the pro shop at. Latrobe said how hard that he had to work to learn English to feel like he was part of the PGA Tour and part of a society and everything else, that he worked his ass off, like worked super hard just to pick up a language that would allow him to feel more connected with the society in which he was going to grow up and, and become elite in, which I love it, this commitment to being the best at anything. I think is extraordinary, given the fact that I can't speak one language. One language. One language. One language. You're, you're, one, you're not even one language. I can't speak one language well, he's learned to speak two languages well. Um, I, but it just adds adds to me that, that commitment to be, I want to be as good as I can be, not I just want to be good. 
I want to rinse my cottage cheese. I want to be the best that I can be. And I'm going to pursue that no matter what. And these are the tools that I need. So I, I loved hearing that little little gem yesterday because it it, it just added to the mystique of, of what he is. I'll tell you, I'm going to give you a flip side to that. Mm-hmm. What is the mentality of a player who going into the last round declares that I don't need to win the US Open because I have, well, not the full quote, but be effectively because I have faith. But who who goes into a last round saying, I don't need to win it? Is that someone preparing themselves for the victory or for the fall? Or am I being harsh? So who, who said that, Phil? Well, Russell Henley. Russell Henley. Okay, put him out there. Um, yeah, that seems odd to me. Look, I, that's more curious than anything else to me. Oh, I, I don't think I quite understand what he means by it. Safety is this one of the, is this one of those occasions though where uh, you know mental coaches and sports psychologists are just getting too much into players' heads here, Philly? Are they filling them with all this this pseudo intellectual guff rather than getting them to own and admit the reality of, of what's there? Like I, this that that's such an odd comment to me. Burn the boats, the art of war, Sun Tzu. Burn the boats. March your march your army up the hill. Was that your haiku? No, it's I'm getting there. March your army up the hill. Turn them around. Boats are burning. Um, I, I forgot how many syllables it was haiku was meant to be, but <laughs> but th- this idea of there is no safety net, there is no safety blanket. How you could give yourself because I've never been in this position, I don't understand the pressures. But why give yourself the safety blanket as opposed to I'd. I'd love to win this and I'm desperate to win this. Will it be the difference between me being happy and not happy? Probably not, but that's not the point. I am going to I'm going to leave nothing behind and if this means I come 35th in pursuit of winning, that is what I'm going to do. Not I don't need to win it. Like I'd like to, but I don't need to win it. Burn the boats, man. Burn the boats. Burn, burn the boats. Um now just one other quick thing for you shooter and I need to mention this to you and console you on it. Unlucky for you, first the charity day and then your bet on Louis. So close, Philly. So close. Louis broke my heart. He broke my heart on the weekend. Had him at 51 to 1. So I was that close to some incredible bragging rights. Uh, but instead, no, I am back to busking and just trying to trying to battle my way through. Just battling through. Anyway, that's what that's what happens. It's that's golf for you. That's golf for you. Fifty-one to one though. That would have been some pick. Uh, that that would have been special. Quick question for you. We've spoken about you know a lot of the, those that have done well. What the hell has happened to the Aussies? Why were they so so average? And I've got a few questions to pose to you after you answer that. <laughs> so I'll just I just want to get rid of one thing. And we did mention fact checking in the lead up. I did particularly like when Kem Smith was asked, and not that I heard him asked, I read about this, so it would have been one of the independent reporters there, what he was looking forward to this weekend, of which he had replied, well, I missed the cut. It's not going home. But the fact that he missed the cut. So every major, every major, they interview the same, and I don't know what they're meant to say, but they interview the same, well, four Aussies who make every major, um, or the ones who want to talk. Every major, I really suit their game. Feeling really good about my game. We're all feeling really, like collectively, we're all feeling really good about our games. We're all playing really well collectively. And we're going to go out there and we're going to give it our best shot. Is it possible, Shooter, that the next President Cup features zero Australians? Or is Cam Davis 
our great hope. I think it's possible that it'll be made up entirely of South Africans, <laughs> plus Hideki, <laughs> plus quite Hideki. frankly. So what is it about what's what is it about South African golf? And is there a point where, and again, I know nothing about the inner workings of golf in Australia and at an elite level, and literally, as you can see by my game, nothing. But what is it about South Africa that is producing rising stars who get to the world stage? They're bred tough, Phil. Possibly the most proud sporting nation going around. Just look at them, look at culturally, look at them across different sports. Look at them in, in rugby, the Springboks, cricket, the Proteas. South Africans are never truly an underdog. On any given day, they'll grind out a win because winning is just in their blood when it comes to sport. They have this, it's almost like a national a national blueprint. They're big on technique. So they yeah, have a look at these, have a look at the golfers, have a look at Louis, look at Brandon Grace, uh, look at Higo, Schwartzel, Zoidenhout. They're technically really sound. I mean, probably Schwartzel's the only outlier there, I and mean, he's not not like he's terrible. But they have this this ability to refine technique, but they also combine that with toughness, and that's just such a brutal combination. And I think that's, it's almost the Saffir's blueprint, and that's why they're so successful across the board in sport, and golf's no exception. And then you get this other young buck, Neben Deben Debebeer, um, and obviously I've researched the names. But then, then again, given the fact that I can't speak Properly, I could have actually just pronounced his name for the first time. But who averaged 346 yards. But but tall, lean, elite-looking athlete with a great action and hits it miles. And and I think the one thing that, that all these guys have in common, and again, we're not ones to comment on necessarily on, on actions or otherwise, but there's something in them that says, I will work harder, I will grind harder, and I would hate to be competing against them. And that's why, you know, they talk about competing against South Africa on the rugby field, it, that it's just the whole time you've got to be on and it's exhausting because they're, they're into it. So therefore, is there something else that they are doing that our kids are not getting taught? Do our kids get it too easy? Because I'm looking for the next shining light and I keep hearing that, and we spoke about this last year in a podcast, um, thanks to John from Chicago, the concept of um, what is the, what are, who are the top 12 players in the U.S.? Before before we go down that track, Philly, I'm not letting you off on the Aussies. I had a couple of questions for you. No, I, I was going to get back there. Has Aussie golf become soft? I, I want to throw this at you. Have we have we gone away from that that tough Aussie golfer to to being this mollycoddled group? The, you know, in the age of entitlement that we all seem to be seeing at the moment, has has the fame uh, and more to the point, has the fortune come too easily for a lot of them? You know, because of massive sponsorships and whatever else. I mean, we have an apparent world beater at the moment who refuses to step foot on a bloody plane. Could you, could you imagine Norman IBF or any of those boys refusing to travel, Phil? Like, that's, that's uh, a joke. Okay, so here's what I will say, is that I think Cam Smith is a flusher who works hard and Mark Leishman is a flusher who works hard. Adam Scott's coming to the end of his life and does he... You know, career. still competitive... Oh, sorry, career, life on tour. Does he... He's still got the competitive burn, but is it is it burning as hard as Louis is or Schwartz that I'm prepared to grind and I'm prepared to grind? So I, I don't know that soft – I don't know that soft is the right word because I don't know enough about the backgrounds and how hard a lot of these guys might have fought to get to the position. But I think at some point in time, with the amount of money that's invested in elite talent in this country – We've got some really good players playing well in Europe. You've got Jason Scrivener, who's continuing to, to grind away in Europe. Minwoo Lee, from, from, purely from a, a male's point of view, Minwoo Lee, oh, prodigious talent. You know, and, and then 
Carl Phillips at some stage will will come through as a another prodigious talent, but will they kick on? And then that, but the girls seem to be going and going okay. So you look at Hannah Green, you know, now our number one ranked Australian player, you know, who who just is okay. So maybe is it timing, or are we comfortable? Which was your question. You know what I don't think helps? Shit like the mullets. <laughs> Wasting time on be- that. Because it allows them to get media and get pumped up the wrong by things, something yeah. that is not a skill. Like growing hair, actually, it is a skill because I don't have it. But for most people, growing hair is not a skill. It's just an attribute. So, so, but but I don't know. I mean, and hopefully, someone in the elite programs is sitting there saying, "What what is the gap?" Because I can yeah. tell you, none of them are asking Kipper. And this is the thing that really pisses me off. Yeah, and I'm with you about golf in Australia. And I know that Kipper is not the be all and end all, but this guy has lived the life over there and knows what's required. And he's had someone look him in the eye and say, "Maybe maybe playing is just not where you're at. Do you understand what it's going to mean year after year after year?" To talk to the young kids when they're coming through, as opposed to having them mentored by by others who might not have ever been told that things that they just weren't quite as good as they are. Now I think Leishman is a, a flusher, and I think as I think Kemp Smith is a flusher. Um, Wade Ormsby has worked his. I mean, here is a guy who has worked his ass. That could off, have been a great great tale, couldn't it? A great story, but just committed to the love of the game and grinding. And that's why I say maybe maybe Cam Davis, uh, and not just because my man Chewy's on his bag, but maybe Cam Davis is the one. But but are they prepared to sacrifice what the South Africans are or, or what a John Rahm has sacrificed? Would they be prepared to learn a language? Should golf um, fans in Australia, should they be expecting more of our golfers? Or is that, a, is that an unfair? No, it's a really good... I think that's a really good question. I, I tell you... It, so my benchmark is if the and this is really nasty, is that if the South Africans are doing it, why aren't we? Yeah, I agree. But that's Simpl- my measure. It's not but European. Sim- but we're similar, similarly culturally sporting. I, I think so we're the same. A, I think it's a perfect, it's a perfect um, comparison. And I think they are absolutely smashing us at the moment. And they are. And so is is Louis an outlier? Well, maybe he is. But but then you've got Louis and Brandon Grace and so Bizaden how and you've got. Schwartzel. But then they had a guy, you know, and we'll throw up, oh, yeah, but that's the golden age. Well, they had a guy called Ernie Els who went okay. You know, there, there's a, a lot of them. Then going back in the day, you know, Gary Player. Have you heard of a guy called Gary Player? Yeah, Gary Player, Kel Nagel. I mean, so so we had our, we had our stars that, that weren't quite – Peter Thompson was a reasonable one. But we had our stars that, that were getting close but not quite there. But is there something in the – is it in the DNA? And this is your – I suppose your question. Is it in the DNA? Is it nature or nurture that is allowing – the South Africans to do what they're doing, and and yes, we should be proud of of the Australians making the cut. And I think it's it's really good that we all made the cut, and I think it's fantastic. I'm I'm excited for Wade Ormsby. Mm. I'm not that excited for the other three because I expect I, I do expect more of them. Yeah, we because, expect them to be higher up. Yeah, and and is that fair? Um, probably not. I tell you, if I can move on, unless you've well, got just before you do, just because you mentioned Cam Davis, I just wanted yeah. to. I just wanted to throw this to you, though. Probably a bit unfair to put that kind of weight on, on the guy, but at the same time, he's he's only, what, mid-20s, 25, 26. Yeah. So now that's not considered young in on tour anymore. You've got you know, guys like Rory already had majors and multiple PGA Tour wins under his under his belt. We, we don't quite have that same level of youngsters coming through at a dominant level or with the mindset of 
we can win. I, I don't want to beat up on Aussie golf, but I, is that unfair? But it just feels like that's what's happening. We've got kids who are ready to, they come out and they're ready to go, all right, I'm happy to, to play on tour. They don't come out with a, I'm ready to win on tour mentality. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know whether survival is enough of the motivator or if, again, I'm going to get back to my little Sun Tzu art of war analogy. How would they cope? And, and you know what, I wouldn't cope. So I'll declare that right now, is that I wouldn't cope. But if the boats were burnt and there was only forward and the path was only forward, how would they, how would they cope without a, without a fallback plan? Which was your conversation around Wally Day, around Jason Day. Um, <laughs> you know, because it's where's Wally, isn't it? Like at what point in time will Jason Day, who's, who we had such great hopes for and, and quite rightly, and that he delivered on a fair chunk of them, but, but is he injured? Is there an injury that, that, that we don't know so about. severe That's, that yeah. we're ready to lose him. And will he just kind of ride off into the sunset? Because it would be a damn shame if that happens and he hasn't been able to come back and play the one event we have a year here in Australia to to at least allow us to say, you know what, you are awesome, almost like this farewell tour, which might, by connection, get us back to what happens in South Africa. They have this connection with the European tour. They are obviously far more accessible to Europe and there's a significant tour that happens there versus well, we have the PGA in the Open and then we have the Vic Open. We've got Blitz Golf, um, which will be fantastic. Then we've got... Interstate Golf Tennis. In Interstate Golf Tennis, we've got the Long Drive, the PLDA, the Long Drive um, tournaments. Um, and then we've got a reasonable Pro-Am series where the names that keep popping up are the names that have always popped up. So maybe we just don't provide enough elite golf. And I know Jeff Ogilvie, the, the Players Series... Um, and then what Ogilvy's trying to do to help harden up the amateurs. I mean, he's trying to run a series of, of events with the Ogilvy Foundation to, to try and help the amateurs get elite-level competition when they're out of global travel at the moment. So they, there is a harder edge to them the whole way. But the fact that... So, yeah, I'm going to use Ram and Ogilvy. At any point in time, when playing their best, they were both one bad shot away from losing the plot. Such was their desire to make it happen. Their passion, yeah. Like it, it just oozed passion, and maybe that's, maybe that's the the thing about it. And I'll tell you some, yeah. Anyway, I don't, I don't know. But in terms of losing, so we're talking about Jason Day potentially losing it. Here's another question that is 100% attributed to Jonesy from Canberra. What has Tommy Fleetwood done to warrant the media's love affair with him? Outstanding question. Outsta- yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I've been asking you this for because you're one of them, Phil. Yes, you're, right. you've You've been in love with Fleetwood for ages, and I just it's I don't lust. get it. Like nothing, nothing against the guy at all, but I I just don't. What has he done? He's finished twice. Twice he's finished um, second at uh, in a major. That's been his best his best result. But other than that, he's you know he's, he's had zero PGA Tour wins. If you listen to Brandle, <laughs> I mean he's ranked thirty three in the world, so he's never won. Is is what Brandle would say, despite the five. I think it's five European tour wins. They don't count. No, no, don't worry about them. But he's ranked 33 in the world. He hasn't really been anywhere near it. Is it is it purely his swing, Phil? Because he clearly his swing is pure. And I know Kip has raved on about how good his swing in swing is. Is it that simple that they just see potential with a swing? Like why? Why? Why the love affair? I don't get it. I and and Louis at 51 to one. I mean, piss off. Hang on, sorry. Just I am going to address the Fleetwood thing. But your reference for those that it's lost on about your he's never won um, yeah. can you just refer to how many times Brandel Chambly said that Louis had won 
on live TV coverage. I think he said uh, he's never won. Uh, he's never won on tour. Uh, sorry, he's never won on tour. Nobody said he, yeah. Sorry, no. He said he's he's won. I think he said he's won once on tour, and that was the the Open Championship. One one event, I think it was. It wasn't even yeah. on tour because he didn't even imply PJ tour. He just implied just, that he'd only ever won yeah. one I got event. A bit upset. So anyway, as a result of that, Fleetwood. And I'm a Brandle fan, to be fair. I think he's quite insightful. But man, this the US centric nature of it all. Anyway, Brandle Fandle. Anyway, back onto Fleetwood. So for mine, I love the way that he hits. I love the fact that everything looks like he's hitting punch shots. I, I, yeah, I job done. And I, I have backed him. If you want a lack of a backswing, you should just hang out with my missus. <laughs> no backswing at all. I Well, John Rahm, many would say that John Rahm didn't have that much of a backswing. It seemed to yeah. work okay for him. Fleetwood. The, 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 he, there is no reason other than his hair that he should be getting more media than anyone else. And in fact, oh, hang on, hair. Wow. There we go. Hair. So let's move on from Fleetwood to uh, Mac, uh, McElroy. You're not going to let me explore my hair theory. Oh, I've got a great. You have You've got a hair theory. All right, I'll let well, you explore. Okay, explore away. I just what thought my Tommy transition Fleetwood? from Fleetwood to Mac was fantastic. What is? To- yeah, we're going to get there. Oh, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, no, we're going to. Okay, so I'm going to let you have that segue again. What does Tommy Fleetwood and Cam Smith have in common? Massive hair, and I'm not going to say the M word. Huge hair. The media just has his love affair with hair. So end of story. Media, golf media, stop talking to people who've got hair and start pursuing the bald ones who you didn't know yeah. were bald until they took their hat off. You don't see a lot of uh, Stuart Sink conversations. I think you're <laughs> on something here, Phil. That's exactly right. One of the others took their hat off and I never knew that he actually was bald until the very top of his head and then he had the full... Anyway... Uh, moving on very quickly, Phil, because I wouldn't forgive myself if I didn't get this uh, officially on record. McElroy... Clearly, he clearly got dressed in the dark a couple of times uh, over the weekend. And I just want to say, those baby sputum milk-coloured trousers that he's wearing ad nauseum, they need to be introduced to that campfire that I mentioned earlier. Uh, never again. Hideous. I'm glad he didn't win purely for the fact that we would have had that etched in time in uh, in photos with the, with the US Open trophy. Thank God. Can I give you one of what I think is one of the great quotes? And I'm hoping he hasn't stolen it. And not that he implied that it was his original quote, but from Tony Creswell, who's the director of golf at La Trobe Golf Club in Melbourne, in Victoria. And we'll get Tony on for a podcast because there's a lot of exciting things happening at La Trobe. But here was his quote about Rory, which made me giggle. I've got to be honest. The best Rory swing has held up under pressure in the last five years was Yuka Sasso. <laughs> That's magnificent. I just, I just like, like it's full stop. No more discussion. One of the great quotes That's of all time. Qu- it's, qu- it's possibly the quote of the year. Well, it is for us. Is, is it possible that Euchre is a better version of Rory than Rory? It, it is. That's why I said, but that's why, like I actually, because I'm a little bit of a, a, a multimedia megastar, I did pose that question that Euchre's is, and, and we spoke about it after the, the Women's US Open. She's just got a good version of his swing. She's tried to model her swing on him. It's just yeah. that hers is a pure version. But I just love that the best Rory swing has held up under pressure in the last five years with Euchre Sasso. But here's another question from Jonesy life without chubby Chandler since he gave big chubs the the ass yes things haven't been great have they Um, change Mm. of gear change of partners lack of victories (laughs) well it's it's difficult to say come on are you asking has that made a difference well you don't really know what goes on behind the scenes though Um, 
And we've seen other high-profile players leave Chubby as well, to be fair to Rory, because I need to be fair to Rory as well. We give him his fair whack. But, you know, Lee Westwood ditched him, um, you know, acrimoniously as well. Um, Graham uh, McDowell. Danny Willett. Uh, now, without having those details, probably hard to say whether his game would have suffered more or less not being with Chubby. But I think the change of gear is an interesting one, Phil. Uh, initially, that was was obviously a big a big thing. Like as an outsider, it seems to me that Rory listens f- to far too much around him, and he just takes it all on. Like if someone makes a comment about his swing or the way he's playing, he bites back, and he does that with you know media commentators and, and that sort of thing. Or he'll lose focus, as we've spoken about several times, and, and copy someone else, like he did with Bryson, and and chasing the distance, which he admitted himself has hurt his game. So, so when people are all commenting on his gear change being the cause of his woes, some of that seeps into him, into his mind, and it sort of sows that seed of doubt and, and that fear, I guess. And and you know, as Dr. Joe Parent told us, um, you become what you fear. So I think he's got to stop listening to all the not the voices outside his head and and possibly a few of the ones that are inside it. Because the reality, I mean, if it, if it just you deal with the controllables. He's he's oh, gear is not Phil. But but his his gear <laughs> oh, is not at, his gear is not at issue. Just as his just as Ram's yeah, gear is not at issue. It's Ram, just exactly but you right. just have to have complete faith in it. To your point, you just have to back every element that you've done completely because you know when you look at his his setup, he's got the best opportunity in the world and he's got the best product that he can possibly be using. So there are other things there are other things at play, and his swing just doesn't hold up like you can But he's too talented. As you said with Ram, he's too talented for the gear to be the issue. And as um, what was that? There was that. What was that quote that you were telling me about um, Jason Day signing Jason Day? To oh, just oh, well, that was going to be a story for another podcast. But oh, but, you want to save it? <laughs> no, I don't. Um, now that you brought it up, but but Mark King from as, as I dropped names when Mark King was the head of Talamide globally, and I was having lunch with Mr. King and asking him about the story of signing Jason Day. He was quite honest and said that the Jason knew and was told by him that. He can play the gear of any of the best four or five manufacturers in the world and everything's going to do the same thing. They're all going to build the gear that, that delivers exactly the spin rates and launch angles and everything else that he needs. The question then had to be, and that it came down to, is when you're not playing golf, who do you want to hang out with? Like, who's, who's the best fit for you? So, you know, culturally and so that you actually just feel most at home because it's important that you have that beyond off-the-golf-course connection not disdain, and we're not implying in any way, shape, or form that that Roy doesn't have that, or that John Rum does. But but that's the point: is that you need to you need to buy into these to everything about a brand or a company. And I think Rory will probably. I mean, the fact that he's back contending is a good thing. It, certainly, golf's good when Rory's, uh, or as I referred to him over the weekend, Pory McElroy, because uh, there were the poor me's were were kicking in a little bit. But but golf is better when he's playing well. Golf is more exciting when he's playing well. So we're becoming we're becoming quite good on the old nicknames here, Phil. We had Sooks Kepka, and now we've got Pori McElroy. Pori Interesting. McElroy. Goodbye, yeah. And where's Wally Day? That's probably not a bad uh, a bad note to end today's podcast. And on that note, we'll bring today's Tenuous Links Golf Podcast to a close. Thanks to Philly for sitting in with me again today as we wrapped up an enthralling US Open at Torrey Pines, even if Philly thought the course was rubbish. Be sure to sign up at golfbarons.com, follow us on all of our socials, and remember to series link Season 2 of Golf Barons, now playing on Fox Sports 503 and on KO and Foxtel On Demand. Thanks again for listening, Barons, and until next time, remember to always add some swagger to your swing.